everyone. Welcome to the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model Podcast. This is going to be a mishmash of audio content, LinkedIn content, guest podcasts, interviews, debates, and live Q&A. We'll primarily discuss six topics that reflect the buyer-centric revenue model. One, sales development versus marketing. Two, the sales assembly line or the AE-CSM split in other subdivisions versus full sales or full sales cycle sales, aka AE-CSM combined, no handoffs, no prospecting. Three, quota versus holistic goals and metrics. Four, commission versus full salary plus bonus. Five, sales versus the option of self-service to the extent desired and possible. Six, the predictable revenue model versus the buyer-centric revenue model. If you haven't already, I highly demand that you sign up for the buyer-centric revenue model community to continue the discussion and help implement the model. Join the movement of forward-thinking peers liberating and modernizing B2B marketing and sales. Achieve a better growth playbook, a competitive advantage, and more productive and fulfilling careers. Enjoy insights, data, best practices, resources, and jobs. Plus, the live Q&A on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Head over to buyercentricrevenue.com to sign up. If you want to learn more about the model and these topics, check out my book, The Death of the SDR and the Birth of the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audiobook. And now to this episode. Hey gang, welcome back to B2B Podcasting, the official show for B2B CEOs, brand leaders, sales leaders, and marketing leaders to help them skip ads and be the show. We want to talk about marketing and sales tactics that actually connect with audiences and turn them into customers. And we today we have a, a guest that's actually going to be the perfect guest to talk about this very topic. His name is Nelson Gilliatt, and he has written a book called Death of the SDR, Birth of Buyer-Centric Revenue. Uh, I'm, we're going to get into that specifically, but I'm going to mine the gold out of him today to talk about specifically why content creators have an advantage today in the B2B marketing world and the B2B sales cycle. And we'll also try to talk a little bit about how that can apply, this mindset can apply by using a B2B podcast. So Nelson, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Cap. Thanks for having me. I think it's going to be a great talk. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be easy because this is clearly your lane. One thing that I'm really passionate about, particularly in my line of business, is helping our customers clarify their positioning, clarify a thought leadership point of view. And golly, I mean, you've done this. You've got you've created a very laser focused narrative, and it's really it's the title of your book. You made it really clear for anybody to know what you're about, how you see changes in the market. And dare I say that what your book title is, it's a bit controversial. I mean, there's so many businesses that are still creating teams of SDRs and are still doing the cold call model. But what you're talking about here through your book, which we'll get into shortly, um, specifically the four different topics of your book, you're really challenging the status quo. And one thing that you had said to me in our pre-show call was you said that B2B marketing is broken. I'd love for you to break down what you meant by that and why you felt like this book was necessary. Yeah, sure. And first, I'll just say, you know, I think it's a case in point. It's like, I, I don't have SDRs. I'm a one man band. And, you know, I, I took a certain position and I have, you know, uh, I've got a compelling narrative. And 
I've been able to produce a bit of content and do a bit of social media and go on podcasts, just a few different marketing tactics, no ads, nothing, no, no sales development. And yet I've been able to get my message across to many people, um, and build a bit of a movement and got something like 10,000 followers on LinkedIn. And so I think that's just, and, and it's what you're helping to achieve by, by helping people put on a show. And in a sense, that's what content creators and marketers do we try to put on a good show and we don't want to hmm. just put on boring old reruns that no one watches um we want to be the latest and greatest netflix show um but sorry so the question can you repeat one more time i think was was how, why so how, you you made a comment in our pre-show call that was really mm-hmm. it seemed like the heart for why this you felt like you needed to write this book you said pretty boldly b2b marketing is broken and you might have even tried to allude to like B2B sales is broken too. So in that, with that, that mindset, it was really what birthed this book. What could you unpack that for us? What did you see was broken in the world of B2B marketing? Yeah, sure. So specifically for B2B marketing, what I saw that was broken and the fundamental problem that I think is putting a lot of marketers in a, in what I call a straitjacket. you know, they're forced to do things uh, they don't want to do and they're prevented from doing things they do want to do. And they're very frustrated and they're having less productive and fulfilling careers than they can and should is fundamentally sales development. Um, it's prospecting. And I see sales development and pros, you know, whose job is to do basically prospecting full time. Um, I see that as uh, the outdated worst form of marketing that you can do. And because marketing is forced to basically support sales development a lot and basically because of the predictable revenue model, which is the model that most B2B companies run on why I challenge it, um, makes sales development and prospecting the core marketing strategy to which most or a lot of marketing resources are put towards. Um, And I think a lot of people are seeing that these problems today and they're trying to address it. I think they're they're, you know, questioning sales development and how it will evolve, or they're fighting against the effects of sales development um, upon marketing, whether that's gated content, MQLs, lead scoring and lead intent, um, manual demo request scheduling and qualification, um, you know, turning off buyers with prospecting and, and damaging your company reputation. But fundamentally, it's the cause that you need to fight against, which is sales development. And so there's been an evolution that's happened in uh, marketing, in the internet and social media. Um, And that has affected modern buyer preferences and modern marketing. And yet we still are operating on this old school form of marketing, this this prospecting um, and uh, and on sales development when we really should be optimizing and leaning into proper proper marketing. So what was your experience? Were you an SDR at one point? And did you experience this firsthand? I mean, the bold statement, the death of the SDR, I've, I've talked to so many SDRs that wish they were dead because they hate their job so much. So explain to me uh, maybe a little bit of your background with, have you had experience with that? Yeah, I started out in B2B as most uh, folks do, at least in mark, you know, at least in sales. And sometimes if they want to eventually progress to marketing, but as an SDR, so I was an SDR for a while. And then I was a what is known as a full sale cycle seller, but I think it's a perversion of the term. But it's an SDR and AE combined, um, and so I've done a lot of prospecting, and I saw how 
fruitless and wasteful that was compared to modern marketing. You know, I was making 80 telemarketing calls a day. I was sending, um, you know, emails and trying to personalize my emails and do a lot of research. I was doing, you know, direct mail or sending physical mail. I was doing door knocking. I was going around the, you know, New York city canvassing, trying to, you know, hit up certain businesses. I was doing whatever I possible to try to generate a meeting for sales. I was bribing people to take lunches with sales and, uh, yeah, even though I, you know, was a, an, a good SDR in producing or exceeding my meeting quota, the leads were terrible. Um, sales, you know, did not want those leads. They wanted the leads for marketing, the leads that I had, you know, there were people that were less likely to show up to the meeting, less likely to buy, um, or buy as much. Um, you know, they were really just taking information or just getting exploratory information or kicking the tires, just browsing, but didn't have really any buying intent. And so that really harmed sales and the relationship between sales development or or marketing and sales. You can say that misalignment, um, just kind of putting garbage through to sales and affecting their win rates and their sales cycles. Then you have this bloated sales org, um, trying to triage all these bad leads from sales development. Um, and so, um, I saw that that was, you know, it it was just so fruitless. I was doing so much and getting so little out of it compared to Mm. what what the marketing team was doing and marketing was doing, you know, all these better marketing tactics to woo buyers in the door who were requesting demos on the website. Um, and these were the hot leads or the layups that sales wanted. So I was like, why are we optimizing and spending so much resources in sales development, um, and not in marketing? And this occurred at a big company. And, um, you know, it's a company called Western Union Business Solutions. Um, and then, you know, something like 1500 employees globally at the time. And then I went to a five person startup. And when I went to this five person startup, you know, we didn't have sales development and we didn't have the money to waste on sales development. We had to be very smart with our marketing. Um, and then this startup was also marketing primarily to marketers. And that's when I really, at the, at, when I was at this company, I started to shift away from sales and sales development, put on a bit more of a marketing hat, you know, as you, you wear a lot of hats in a startup and then got into the world of marketing and learned from a lot of marketers, um, you know, in the LinkedIn community. And then I was like, whoa, whoa, there's, there's all these better ways to generate and qualify leads for sales than sales development and prospecting. And basically what, what prospecting is or to define that it's a marketing strategy to generate and qualify leads primarily through telemarketing, email spam, LinkedIn spam, um, physical mail and bribery through gift cards. And the reason why it's spam, um, and you can use prospecting and sales development and spam synonymously, um, is because the definition of spam is sending someone unconsented marketing solicitations to their private inbox, whether that's their phone their email inbox or their physical work or home address, which is why spam. If you're, if you're an SDR, um, it sucks because you, you know, you're spamming people. Um, you know, you try to make the spam less annoying and, um, you know, less unpleasant by trying to personalize it, maybe using some humor. Um, but fundamentally the nature that it's, it's the nature of the marketing communication as spam which is why no matter what you do as an SDR, you hate it. It sucks. You, it's mm. constant rejection, avoidance from annoyed buyers. Um, spam or prospecting or sales development is basically marketing while selling your soul. And that wow. is also why buyers um, take great lengths to avoid it 
um, and block it and filter it out and turn off and it harms your reputation and, and, and the brand as a company. Um, and uh, buyers have gone better at ignoring that and tuning it out. It takes SDRs like over two, three times the amount of attempts just to even get in contact with a buyer than it did um, a couple years ago. And even when they do get in contact, um, you know, it's they're not getting much value out of that. In fact, it produces a lot of disvalue. And you might ask, well, prospecting or sales development does generate leads and revenue. Yes, that's true. But just because some a marketing tactic can generate leads and revenue doesn't mean that it's worth worthwhile and does more good than harm relative to all the other marketing possibilities and investments, um, yeah. which in the case of modern marketing is not the case. And so I'll wrap up by saying what prospecting does is it turns off buyers, which marketing is already wooing and would eventually request a demo, but it turns those buyers off Um and then it pushes some buyers prematurely to sales. Um, mm. And these, again, are buyers that are typically, again, the premature. You know, maybe they're aware of your company because of marketing's efforts and whatnot, or, or their peers are talking about it because marketing is influencing their peers. Or they're just interested in taking a tool uh, or just, just whatever, um, browsing, just exploring. This happens a lot. Um, and it's it's unfortunate because this is information, exploratory information that a buyer should just be able to get on the website that marketing should make available for free and upfront and transparently. But oftentimes marketing is forced or or companies because of this predictable revenue model straight jacket are trying to force buyers through this unpleasant and artificial um, buying experience across SDRs and across sales um, rather than bringing that information that the buyer needs upfront up and for free in, in your content, on your website, putting your pricing, your FAQ, how the product works, benefits and features, having giving you giving buyers the ability to try your product uh, for free, you know, so buyer self-service to the extent possible and desired, freemium, free trial, product tour, a sandbox environment, a demo recording, a buy now button. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's a terrible, terrible buying experience for the buyer. And because of that misalignment between modern buyer preferences and modern marketing, because of prospecting sales development, is why we see that there's that there's um, you know tension and and conflict, and marketing is really unhappy, and sales development is really unhappy, and sales development is suffering, really is suffering, high turnover, low tenure, low productivity, or low performance, um, and low job satisfaction. And so we really need to be rethinking this and change it. And that's why I wrote this book and outline a way for companies to transition and, and present a new solution and examples of companies um, who've transitioned and, and case studies. And so trying to help people move from A to B, not just casting light on a problem, but helping people adopt the solution. So I'll, I want to recap what you said, because I think what you're, what you're saying is so, it's so transformative and it's so needed. And it's actually very aligned to the, to the premise of this show as I kicked off the show saying we want to help basically B2B brands skip ads and be the show. The difference between what you were experiencing in your organization between the, the sales development side and the marketing side was the marketing side was actually providing value through educating about the product, whereas the sales development side was interrupting and was spamming and it was – it was creating the same sort of affinity that an ad would versus how a show would. We talk about how ads repel audiences. 
they get skipped, muted, bypassed altogether. People pay for premium versions of apps to avoid ads. So you even saying that like buyers are going through extensive lengths to make sure they don't have to deal with any of that stuff. Whereas shows actually, the, the show mindset, I guess you could say, is what draws an audience together. And so what you're talking about is how can businesses practically change the way that they think about going to market? Because I'm sure if you could, if you, you would probably be able to say this, that the SDR mindset is we want results fast. Let's go knock on doors. Let's go pound the phones. Let's get them in the room and then we can close them. And then it's, it's a, it's a shorter transaction time than a long game play of marketing. I mean, let's be honest, people avoid businesses, avoid that type of marketing that you're talking about because it's a long game play. But what you're saying is when you focus so much on the short term, you actually jeopardize the long term, like pretty and pretty significantly because you're ruining relationships with those buyers. Is that essentially what you're saying? Yes. And if the goal of your marketing is to basically generate as many lousy leads at any cost right now, and you don't care about efficiency or effectiveness, you don't care about profitability, ROI, you don't care about turning off your buyers, you don't care about turning or damaging your reputation, you don't care about turning off your talent, you don't care about opportunity costs. If you don't care about the short term and you don't care about the long term, then prospecting or sales development or spam, whichever you call it, is, you know, is the way that's, that's, you know, and so if you look at sales development, you look at prospecting, their goals and metrics and compensation is designed around that. It's mm -hmm. your only or primary goal and metric is meetings booked. Um, just, just do whatever it takes to get someone to agree to a meeting. Don't care about anything else after that. Don't care about whether they show up to the meeting, how fast they buy, um, you know, do they buy at all? Uh, don't care. So you don't care about win rates. You don't care about sales cycle. You don't care about cost per acquisition. You don't care about, um, you know, profit. You don't care about wasting sales time and resources, chasing bad leads. Um, it's just meetings booked at all costs. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, you can go generate tons of, of, uh, you know, spamming people who are just like, okay, fine. Yeah, whatever. I'll just take a, an exploratory meeting. Why not? Maybe I heard some good things from your marketing or from my peers who your marketing team is also influencing, but I'm not really going to buy. Um, and so, um, sales basically get stuck holding the bag, marketing suffers, sales development suffers. But, and so, so again, I, I was exceeding my meeting quotas, but, um, they, they weren't turning into, you know, it wasn't profitable. It weren't turning into, it was wasting sales of time. They weren't turning to customers. Um, and so, um, yeah, proper marketing works better in the short, it, it's like, works in the short term and the long term and has compounding yield. So, um, you know, it grows, it grows, it grows. And then it like really starts to take off. And that's when you build a reputation and people know you and you've built market share and you've got customers and customers breed customers and there's positive word of mouth and you're getting better as a marketing engine and building a company takes time and requires a long-term mindset. Building a product takes time and requires a long-term mindset it's no different with marketing or with sales or any other department. Um, there's a mar there's an engine that needs to be built um, and you get better yield of it over the long term. It's the same thing with personal investing, right? Yeah. It's like you got to have your stocks and your bonds and your, your, your real estate and you put your savings in and it grows and it grows and it grows. Um, and so 
that, but the, but that's the difference between um, sales development and, and marketing. Whereas marketing should be held accountable um, to real business metrics, um, you know, like uh, profit, revenue, qualified pipeline, or the number of, of opportunities or the dollar amount of those opportunities, um, sales cycle, win rates, cost per, cost per acquisition, all that good stuff. The real business metrics, which the CEO and the board investors should properly care about, as opposed to the vanity metric of meetings mm. booked that don't, you know, that waste all you, you know, uh, all, all this money and time and resources. Um, so that is that is a key problem, and that's the key difference between uh, a key difference uh, between sales development and marketing. I'd love for you to break down practically how to put this into place. And that's what your book does. You have four specific topics that you've kind of broken your book up into. You sliced it up. Before you go into any of them in depth, can you list out for us what those four topics are? And then we'll hit each one one by one. Sure. And if you want me to kind of explain um, or come back to how companies can transition, how they already transition between sales development to marketing, um, the experiment that I outlined to people sort of a, um, a compare test and prove and gradual transition approach. We can talk about that, but let's do that. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's look at the four and then talk about the transition uh, into that. It'd be great. Okay, cool. So just sort of broadly speaking, you know, my book, the death of the SDR and the birth of buyer centric revenue has four main topics. Um, the first one is sales development versus marketing or prospecting versus marketing, or you could say, spam versus proper modern non-spam marketing. The second topic is the sales assembly line versus full, what I believe is real full sales cycle sales. And what I mean by this is the sales assembly line is the AECSM split or the account executive and the customer success manager you know, split. Um, you've got one seller that handles the initial sale, the AE, and you have another seller the CSM that handles expansion and retention. And in practice, there are further subdivisions. Um, and the full sales cycle sales model that I advocate for is the AECSM combined, no handoffs and no prospecting. You've got marketing properly generating leads. The salesperson gets to do the full sales job um, and uh, can do some proper marketing if they want, but not prospecting. Um, but there's, you know, they own that customer relationship, this one-to-one customer relationship. Um, and those first two topics combined, um, sales development and the sales assembly line, that is the particular revenue model, which again, most B2B companies are running on, um, which is based on aspects of what Salesforce used to do, um, 20 years ago, it was aspects of the marketing and sales. Um, and it was debatable back then how worthwhile it was for them and what extent that contributed to their growth um, or harm their growth. But nonetheless, people are just kind of copying that. And so that's, that's why I challenged the predictive revenue model and create my own buyer-centric revenue model. Now, in addition, there's two other topics um, that I think are secondary problems and that exacerbate the first two problems of the first two topics of, of sales development and the sales assembly line, and that's uh, quota and commission. Um, and so quota is a type of goal and metric, um, and it's very problematic. And I propose instead, um, proper sales goals and a suite of holistic metrics that are befitting of a proper sales role of the full sales cycle model. Um, and then commission, I challenge 
um, as a as a bad type of sales compensation. Basically, a commission is a portion of a sell of a uh, of an employee's salary that is withheld pending quota attainment, which is typically fifty mm. percent. So basically, half of your salary is withheld um, pending quota. So if you can think of it as a cake analogy, it's it's half the cake, not icing on the cake. It's half the cake, which you have no idea if, when, and how much you're going to to eat. And there's a whole lot of problems that people often ignore or don't understand or you know don't realize um, about commission. And so. But yeah, quoting commission, I think, are two very problematic issues. Um, and the combination of these four, um, prospecting or sales development, the sales assembly line or buyer handoffs amongst uh, partial sellers, uh, quota as a bad form of uh, a goal and a metric, and commission as a bad form of sales compensation combined have created this straitjacket that B2B marketers and sellers are in that are causing less productive and fulfilling careers and are harming companies' growth. Um, it you know, doesn't mean that companies aren't growing at all. It doesn't mean that companies are going bankrupt. Um, but what it does mean is that they don't grow as much as they can and should, that their growth is reduced. It costs more. Um, it's slower. Um, it, it's more difficult. Um, and, uh, yeah, people, people aren't as happy. Man, gosh. I, I mean, how many... Bi- in your experience, like, would you say the majority of businesses are stuck in this place? Because I can see that being a total recipe for disaster. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, um, again, the predictable revenue model is the playbook that most companies are running. Uh, Aaron Ross was a sales leader at Salesforce in the early 2000s. Um, and again, Salesforce and various other companies at the time, um, you know, had implemented sales development and the sales assembly line. And Aaron Ross codified that in his book ten years, about 10 years later um, called Predictable Revenue, which is saying, hey, here's some things as part of our marketing sales, some aspects as part of marketing sales at Salesforce that we did that seemed to have worked well. And then everyone was like, oh, well, we want to be like Mike. <laughs> we want to be like Salesforce. And so let's just copy that. Um, and so that's a huge, I think that's a huge problem. And um, that's why I had to create a new model. And I feel like uh, and, create a, and create a book around it. It took a book and a model to kind of get us here. It's going to maybe take a book and a model to get us out. Um, and as far as quote and commission are concerned, um, you know, there there are examples of, of companies and I'm coming across more and more and in, who, are, who are doing right things, uh, who are doing, you know, the things that I advocate for to some extent. Companies tend to be a bit of a mixture and have elements of the good stuff, elements of bad marketing and sales, elements of good marketing and sales. Um but, uh, you know, quoting commission have been around for ages. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of things I didn't know. It took me a long, long time of, of realizing stuff. I played a bit of like a detective for a while where I was like, something seems wrong here. And I, and I had to sort of do a lot of research, a lot of discussing, a lot of, uh, uh, interviewing, a lot of thinking to kind of, realize what is really going on to be able to then shine a light on it and then help people um, understand the problems, understand the solution and understand how to get from A to B and how to experiment, how to gradually, you know, take a crawl, walk, run approach and and prove things with experiments um, and and transition slowly. Um, And that's the real, that's how people are being able, that's how people are and will make a transition and improve things. And that will gather evidence and more evidence and case studies, just like in a startup, 
you got to get customers, you got to get case studies, you got to, you know, build your company and you got your early adopters, your late, late adopters and things just take a little bit of time, but we're actually making great progress. How, how does content play into that whole transitional thing as you're taking companies and you're really helping them rethink about how they do business development and going to market? How important is content creation in the, in that process of transitioning them? Massive. I mean, content is a, is basically non-spam marketing. Um, it's a way for marketing to communicate with buyers in a, in a non-spam way That's great. Uh, and attract buyers, to educate buyers, um, to entertain buyers, to, to, you know, really develop, you're developing these relationships with them. You're kind of having these conversations with them. And a podcast, for example, is a wonderful way you can have conversations with your buyers, um, with influencers, with your customers about various things that interest them. And, you know, you, you learn a lot from that. You develop relationships from that. You produce really interesting conversations that people want to listen to. And you share that on social media and you chop it up and like, you're able to amplify, um, you know, uh, your message and, and, and get your, get the word out there about you, about people. Um, and by, and so I think what's fundamentally key to understand in, in the book, you know, I, I, in my second chapter, I kind of go through the history of how we got here. Um, the history of sales development and prospecting um, and the sales assembly line and also what has changed in and what has changed um, in the internet and social media and buyer preferences and modern marketing. Um, and so fundamentally what happened was just to kind of, I think, cause I think it's helpful for people to understand that in the pre-internet era, um, marketing didn't have a lot of ways to, to woo buyers, to communicate with buyers, um, and help connect qualified buyers with sales. It didn't have, you know, the modern internet today and social media today and, and podcasts today and mobile phones. Um, and so that's when prospecting came about because marketing had difficulty bringing buyers in the door. Sales would go out there and try to sell to people who didn't want their help and didn't request their help who haven't been properly marketed to. And so you can think of prospecting sales development as originally as sales, because sales used to do this before sales development hit the scene. We'll talk about that, but it's sales operating in the absence of marketing. Um, And so eventually in the late nineties and early two thousands, it was so apparent that, prospecting was so fruitless, so miserable. It had to be done constantly um, in large quantities and predictably to amount to anything, um, to any leads. And sellers hated it. They didn't want to do it. They were they wanted to do their actual sales job. They didn't want to go out and annoy people with spam. Um, and so in the late 90s, the 2000s is when sales development hit the scene. They said, okay, well, we have to kind of specialize, you know, take prospecting off of sales's plate, give it to someone else. And prospecting is a marketing activity. You know, you, you, it's generating qualifying leads. It's not a sales thing, even though sales used to do it. And so, to some extent, sales still does it part time. And aspiring sellers are forced to do it through the SDR role. It's a, it's all it's an often required stepping stone to sales or to marketing, um, but not necessarily really marketing. There's other entry le- proper entry level roles in marketing. Um, and so nowadays, though, mar- what's changed is. You have the maturity of the internet, you have social media, you have mobile phones, um, and marketing has the ability to communicate with buyers, such as through content, um, like a podcast or written content or video content, um, 
and distribute that on social media and social media platforms are where your buyers are hanging out every day, scrolling and learning and connecting with peers. And it's, it's a public platform. And so it's not a private inbox. Um, and so it's not spam. If you go and you put out content there about the Mm -hmm. things that your buyers are interested in and actually want to consume and keep coming back to consume and how they become aware of you and how they like you. And then, um, you know, eventually come when, you know, when they're ready and say, Hey, like, I like what you guys do. I'm interested. Let's, let's, let's speak to sales or let me buy now. Um, and so things like, yeah, con, so what modern marketing tactics, so yeah, there's, there's content, there's social media, there's events, there's community marketing, there's partner marketing, there's referral, uh, marketing, there's, you know, personal networking. Um, so working your network, uh, there's remarketing to, prior customers that change their jobs and go from one company to another. You have a prior existing relationship with them. Um, There's a million and one, you know, marketing tactics that I go through uh, in my book, proper marketing tactics, non-spam marketing tactics um, that are way better than telemarketing and email spam and LinkedIn spam, which are, yeah, the tactics for, for sales development. Um, And so, there's no, there's really, and then I think that's why we're seeing it's, you know, if, if any company analyzes their, 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 uh, their marketing efforts and how they generate and qualify leads for sales. And this is something that I recommend to them. If you analyze and compare sales development to marketing and, you know, look at the lead quality and, and what, and how that affects sales and the amount of resources you put into sales development versus marketing, you actually say, you actually see, whoa, you know, I should be reinvesting resources away from sales development into marketing because that's what's driving growth. That's really what's driving the company's reputation. That's what's driving compounding yield. And that's what, what sales wants. That's, that's where profit is coming from. And in fact, sales development is not just suboptimal. It's actually relative to marketing and all the, it's so harmful. I mean, if you just think about spam, it's so harmful um, that it's, it, causes profit loss and it diminishes growth and it counteracts marketing. It, it crowds out marketing, it preempts marketing, um, and it handcuffs marketing. So you, you're really harming companies are really harming themselves with sales development. One thing that stuck out to me about your story is I, I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm over here like fist bumping and amening and, and, you know, because I'm, I just really believe I see it myself. I see it as a seller I see it as a buyer. Like I'm on both sides of the equation a lot. So I, I totally, I agree with that. But one thing that was interesting about your experience was that from the company that you were a part of, you noticed that marketing was actually doing particularly well. You, like you noticed that marketing was, they were really resonating with the audience and the sales team wasn't. And so there was like this, there was this disconnect this misalignment really with sales and marketing, right? Like they should be working together. I've heard so many people talk about how businesses need to have marketing and sales aligned. My question to you is like, how, like what would be a practical step forward for a business to move in that direction, to not have marketing and sales kind of be pitted against each other and, and really resent each other for, uh, because they're not working in the same room, what would be this, what would be a practical way for them to move forward so that they both can achieve what they're ultimately after, which is to see the company grow. Yeah. So to address this sort of experiment and transition process, um, 
to get from A to B in just a second, but just to, just to touch on one thing about the misalignment between marketing and sales. Mm-hmm. Um, fundamentally, given the current model, you have that, that, that it is the root source or the predictive revenue model, sales development, and the sales assembly line is the root source of misalignment between marketing and sales. Mm-hmm. Um, because marketing is forced to generate a high volume of contact information of uninterested buyers, which is what an MQL is or a marketing qualified lead. It's not really a lead. It's just contact information. Yeah. And then they give that over to sales development. Sales development goes out and spam buyers, turns buyers off, pushes some buyers prematurely to sales. So you've got, so sales gets low quality leads, um, gets a higher quantity of lower quality leads and a lower quantity of higher quality leads. Um, and so, you know, basically marketing can celebrate MQLs and getting contact information. Sales development can celebrate meetings booked and then sales get stuck holding the bag. Um, and they're, you know, again, they've got quota and commission. And so 50% of their um, salary is being withheld pending revenue attainment. And so oh that's gosh. why we see, in, that's why sales is suffering. Sales, like sales development, suffers high turnover, low tenure, low performance, um, and low job satisfaction and a, a low and a bad reputation amongst sellers and buyers alike. Um, and it's almost accepted as a fact of nature that m- most sellers miss quota most of the time. Um, and so that's a huge problem. Uh, but the way that companies can take practical action or what I advise people to do um, with the problem of sales development versus marketing is, yeah, they take a um, compare uh, test and proven gradual transition approach. And so I outline what that looks like in the book. And basically the, w- what you do is you first, you compare sales development to marketing. Um, you compare the leads generated from sales development to leads compared from marketing. You look at profit, revenue, win rate, sales cycle, um, ACV, you look at cost per acquisition, all that good stuff. I outline the metrics or whole menu of metrics that you can use. Um, and then you kind of can see where, you know, what's producing the most yield, which side of, the, of your bread is buttered on. And then you also look at things like, well, how much resources am I putting into sales development versus marketing? Um, to what extent is marketing being forced to support sales development, such as with gated content, with MQLs, uh, with uh, you know lead scoring, which is just prioritizing which MQLs SDR should annoy. Um, and... Uh, then you have this picture that you can then go to um, ownership and propose an experiment or two experiments. And the first experiment um, is to basically automate demo requests, qualification and scheduling on the website. A lot of companies have done this already. And I provide examples of those companies in the book and the results that they achieved. Um, But you automate that on the website and then you repurpose those SDRs ideally to marketing but if not, then have them temporarily repurposed to doing more prospecting, you know, um, spamming and give them quota and commission relief accordingly to whatever extent these inbound SDRs, as they're called it, that we're handling demo requests and scheduling. So they'll be thrilled. And, and so they'll, you know, they're getting paid. Um, they've got that relief. And so that's the first experiment. And you run that for a few sales cycles and you then look at your metrics and you realize, wow, this is a way better experience for the buyer. They're getting, you know, our costs have dramatically went down. More buyers are actually making it to sales and making it to sales faster. Um, 
The second experiment is you gradually reduce prospecting in 25% increments. So wow. you reduce whatever the pro- prospecting quota is, whether it was, if it was like 10 meetings a month, 10 meetings booked a month. Is this a, a quarter to quarter transition to, or is this a month to month transition? This should be a few sales cycles so you, that you okay. can track your metrics all the way to the end, um, your business metrics all the way to the end and ensure repeatability and, and success. And there's a bit of a learning curve. And so um, you need time for things to play out a little bit. And so um, this, so yeah, gradually reduce prospecting in the quota. So reduce your quota a little bit in 25% increments. Also in the prospecting activities and telemarketing and email spam. If, if you're making 100 telemarketing calls, make 75 marketing call, telemarketing calls. Then repurpose that excess SDR capacity to marketing, to content, to social, to events, to community, to ads, to the website, to buyer self-service, whatever, um, partner marketing, referral marketing, creative, design, million and one things. Um, and the SDRs will be thrilled. And plus, you give them quota and commission relief to that extent. And so they get their money. They get to do more fulfilling work, which they're anyways trying to do. SDRs are trying to escape from the role as much as possible and as fast as possible. Um, and they're trying to do proper marketing to some extent to do proper modern marketing, yet they're handcuffed because of the sales development role and their quotas and they're trying, and they're basically being forced to spam. They can't really do proper marketing. Um, and so you unlock all their productivity and their creativity. And so you again, run, run that experiment um, over a few sales cycles, track those metrics. And then you know, depending on how things went, you, you, you show the, you show ownership and you show what had happened and you, if it's successful, you double down, maybe you, you do another 25% and gradually reduce your prospecting and, or you just realize, okay, here we go. Um, our, our money's in marketing and you kind of start to fully transition and repurpose SDRs to marketing or to operations or to sales. Um, and you want just basically gradually sunsetted sales development by the same time upping your marketing and, and, and the quality and improving that, proving that out. So that's really the way that companies are doing and have done it. So companies like sales whale, which, um, you know, was, was sales development led basically. And then they realized that it was not working and they did this analysis and comparison of sales development versus mar- versus marketing and then completely sunset sales development and, and leaned into marketing um, and then just took off and, and it was wonderful. Um, and I covered that case study in the book. And then the, there's a company called Cognizant, which I also cover as a case study in the book, which was the same thing. Their, their, their uh, marketing team, their CMO decided, you know, look, I don't want marketing basically being this like handmade into sales development and, and being forced to be on this MQL hamster wheel. I want to generate website demo requests. So they compared sales development to marketing and then repurposed resources into generating website demo requests as opposed to generating contact information of uninterested buyers. And then it's just taken off. And a lot of their growth and profit is coming from their marketing team, despite having less resources in sales development. Um, and so, yeah, um, the, that that's really the way to do it and how, how companies can get from A to B. I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to leave it here for anybody who's listening and is wanting to, to learn more. You've done a tremendous job, Nelson, at taking something that would feel daunting, overwhelming, would take years to accomplish. You've, you've figured out a process that seems to work. I'm blown away by what you put together. 
I love that you're looking at, you have very specific case studies of companies that have done this and you're looking at, it's kind of like a, a good to great sort of model, right? You're looking at the case studies of what they've done and a, you're creating a, a process that's actually attainable. I love that you're also, uh, you're cognizant of, for some companies that would be hesitant to embrace this new way of doing business development, it's not a 90 degree turn, you know, for, especially for bigger companies, it takes, it takes time to turn a big ship and you've created a sunset method where you're allowing businesses to, to test and see and, you know, and not risk too much up front. And so as we close out this episode, Nelson, I just want to encourage those who are, who are listening to this to go and buy your book. They should go check this out if they're in that place of saying, you know what, we're experiencing tremendous turnover with our SDRs. We're, we're experiencing extremely low uh, company morale, particularly amongst those individuals who are constantly feeling like they have to, they are scrapping up uh, some sort of results to keep their job and they feel out of control of the future, their own future in the company. If you're in that place right now, you got to go check out Nelson's book. Nelson, where can they go find your book? Yeah, you can find it on Amazon. Again, it's the death of the SDR and the birth of biocentric revenue. It's available right now as an ebook. It was published uh, eight months ago as a, and that version is the beta or the MVP version. I'll be pushing the real fully baked product, kind of the full course um, with the definitive statement of the biocentric revenue model with all the, as much evidence as I have up to date. And um, I'll be probably pushing that update uh, for free in the next uh, month or so. Um, and in addition to that, I'll be launching a community to bring like-minded folks together who want to discuss it, experiment and, and, uh, implement the model. So I've got a lot of people who are, you know, are doing this so far and are interested in doing it and going to bring everyone together in one, in one place, um, and share all the data, share best practices and then eventually get a and get a podcast, and um, that podcast will be you know having marketing sales leaders on and talking about this stuff and people asking questions, and it's a way again to interact with the audience. And um, so a podcast will be so huge to this, and so stay tuned for that. And you know, look at the example that Cap ha has. You know, I heard about Cap from his podcast, and look what Cap and Reveal Media has been able to achieve through their podcast. This is the stuff that companies should be doing. This is the stuff that marketers desperately want to do, but are handcuffed. Um, this is what your buyers want. So it's always a good idea to be buyer centric. If product teams can be more buyer centric to produce a better product, I think marketing and sales teams can be as well if we get rid of these practices. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for that, Nelson. For anybody watching or listening and you're thinking, I I need to, to adopt this mindset. I want to learn. We're going to take that book, Nelson, we're going to put the link for it in the description of this episode. So people can check it out there. We're also going to put your LinkedIn profile so that you guys can follow him, check out his content, stay tuned for the podcast. We're going to hold you to that. Couldn't agree more that a podcast is such a great way. It's why we call our show. We'd be podcasting. It's such a great way to educate the market consistently about your thought leadership point of view. Nelson, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on B2B podcasting today. Likewise, Cap. Thanks for having me.